Cox by 90 family, welcome to episode 20. I am your host, Shalmi Ortides. I hope you all enjoyed that intro. A little sentimental to me. Great song. I love that song. Um, but I had to start it out because I definitely, um, it means a lot to me and a lot of my fellow Coxmen brothers who I went to school with. We, um, Lost a good buddy over the weekend, and he actually helped me start this podcast. He's the one that gave me the inspiration to do it. He's the one that motivated me and told me that I could take this thing to bigger heights than I could ever imagine. And um, it, was, it was very tough news, very tough news to hear. Um, and I'm going to miss you, ball game. But I wanted to kickstart it with that because, again, forever young, you never know what could happen. So um, that one was for you, and I appreciate you believing in me. And so with that being said, we're here to talk about Gamecocks. We're here to talk about Gamecock football. It's on the horizon. We're 17 days away from a night kickoff against the University of Tennessee. The Hillbillies will be taking a mass hiatus down to Columbia. Probably not that many of them. Because we're only going to be able to fit 20,000. Be curious to see how much burnt orange will be in the stadium. But yeah, the practices are starting to come together. The teams are starting to come together. You know, I can't be said as much for Tennessee, though. I know they've had as much as 45 players out dealing with the virus, dealing with injuries. They haven't been able to scrimmage. But us Gamecocks... Outside of the Marshawn Lloyd injury, knock on wood, we're starting to look a little healthy. Starting to look a little dangerous. Had a scrimmage over the weekend, and everybody wants to know the quarterback battle. What's going on behind center? Who are we going to trot out at 7.30 that Saturday night on the SEC Network. I'll tell you, I don't have that answer. So if you were hoping it was going to be me to tell you, I don't have it quite yet. All I can tell you is the facts. The facts I'm getting from inside the program. And then also there's a number of, again, it's consistent message across the board. Halinski has came out looking great. And I say great from a physical standpoint. You could tell that the speed training in the offseason absolutely helped. You can tell that the pocket presence and his footwork has absolutely improved. He's still a gunslinger. He's still taking the shots. He's still got that rocket arm release. Decision-making is getting better. And as would be for a second-year player. But you have Colin Hill. You have a guy that's been in the program now going on four years in the same offense. Three years with Colorado State. One year with the Gamecocks. Or should it be a half a year so far? But 
He's been in Bobo's offense. He knows Bobo's offense inside and out, and that can be seen all across practice fields from what I'm told. He knows where the throws need to be. He's managing the offense well. You know, I go back and I was watching the 2014 Cox Dogs game, and I look at Bobo's offense then, and I look at the quarterback they had in Hudson Mason, and he kind of screams a little Colin Hill. In regards to how he managed the game, took a couple deep shots, but was very much a game manager. I'll tell you, Colin Hill doesn't have Todd Gurley, Keith Marshall, and Nick Chubb behind him like they had that game. And when I was watching that, I still couldn't believe how the ball coach was still dialing up plays. And they just were superiorly talented on the offensive side of the ball, especially with that one run game. But I started thinking the Hudson-Mason comparison to a Colin Hill, which, again, we know what we've got. We've got a second-year SEC quarterback still getting his feet wet in a new Bobo offense. There's just – it's going to be an interesting battle to the end of camp, right? Again, I think Colin Hill is a great game manager. I think he's going to be somebody that we absolutely could lean on for five to six wins. I also think Ryan Helinski – gives you more of the boom or bust type feel at quarterback. Where if you're looking at a special season for the Gamecocks, which I think anything special, anything more than six wins, you could call it a special season. I believe Ryan Helensky would be the guy that could do that for us. So you have a tough decision on your hands, right? Who do you trot out? Do you trot out the Gamecocks, literally the knight in shining armor and Ryan Helensky? Do you trot out Colin Hill? little bit battle-tested, knows the offense. I think it's going to be one of the toughest decisions Will Muschamp and Bobo will make in their time here. Because quite frankly, this isn't a year where you can come out and lose to Tennessee in the first game, go to Florida, lose in the second game. It could start getting real ugly real quick. You got to trot out the guy that's going to beat Tennessee on that opening night right now who do I think that is I think they are leaning Colin Hill my personal opinion more years in the offense better game manager I don't see Muschamp too much as the risk taker and again like I say I think Holinsky is more of the risk taker I think he's the boomer bust guy I think he's the six and four or four and six guy I think Colin Hill's your five and five, six and four guy. So higher ceiling with Helensky, lower floor with Hill. We'll see what happens. I will tell you, Gamecock fans, though, it's a good thing to have a quarterback battle with two solid quarterbacks. You'd love for one of them to stand out amongst one another, but at the same time, it's not two bad quarterbacks battling against each other that would be a completely different story and as you all have seen with some of the leaked footage Dodie's got some legs too so do not be surprised if we're trotting Dodie out there for four to five snaps a game getting him running a speed option or creating some mismatches 
where the other opposing defensive coordinator has to game plan for that week in and week out. Quarterback room is talented. It's going to continue to get more talented when Stockton comes in. So, again, I'm excited to see how it plays out. If I had to call it today, I'd say Hill. But I think it's razor thin. Razor thin. So I would look for a decision to be made no later than Monday of next week. I also know that this thing, if it's still that close, you know, you don't have to announce your starting quarterback. You really don't. You can release a depth chart and you have the or right there. And again, it makes it tougher for Tennessee to know who we're going to trot out. So I think... I would say the decision should come by Monday of next week. Another week of practices to go through. We'll see what happens. But that being said, the quarterbacks aren't the only thing on the offensive side of the ball that's worth talking about. That offensive line, and while Muschamp, you know, he didn't have the glowing words as I would have thought after a scrimmage, It's starting to come together, and the offensive line is the most important position group on the offensive side of the ball. Note how I said position group. The most important position absolutely is quarterback, but position group-wise, if you can get five big uglies that are working together, gelling together, chocolate chipping together, getting to the second level together, That's where you can turn average quarterbacks into above-average quarterbacks. You can turn average running backs into above-average running backs. And as long as the wide receivers have enough stick-em on their hands, it should make them a little bit more confident to catch the football, too. I'm loving how it's starting to unfold on the offensive line, though. Eric Douglas grabbing the bull by the horns taking over that starting center spot, we needed somebody to do that. We really did because with having Gwen being able to keep him at guard, huge news with Rhodes coming back, being able, and hopefully he gets back in game shape, being able to plant him in the other guard spot. And then we've got four chess pieces to play with on the outside tackle positions. You've got Jazden Turntine, who has looked exceptionally well Again, all reports coming in, he was going to be, if he came in as advertised, our starting left tackle. You got Dylan Wanham at right tackle. But then you've still got interchangeable parts. You've got Ja'Kai Moore, who, again, reading the big spur, reading reports, hearing things that I'm hearing, looking extremely well at left tackle. Wouldn't be surprised if you see him interchanged out, again, in a number of different ways, because you want to get your best five on the field. And then, think about it. We still have a right tackle that started for us against Georgia, the number three team in the nation, that's still a backup. And Jalen Nichols. So, offensive line, most important position group, starting to come together. Starts with the center and works its way out. I love that Eric Douglas has locked it down. I love that the Wolf has got position puzzle pieces to play with along the line of scrimmage and excited to see that T 
team and that position group continue to gel as we get towards Tennessee game time. Looking at the next position group that I have, again, I don't think it's a big question, but I'm curious to see who's going to continue to step up, and that would be the wide receiver group. We've got our three guys. We've got our three starters, no doubt about it. Jalen Brooks, Shai Smith, and Xavier Leggett. We'd trot those three out if it was game day tomorrow. you got to have more than three guys that can catch the football. As you all might be aware, Luke Doty has been taking reps at wide receiver, more so or less, again, just to get your best guys on the field. I continue to believe that the quarterback reps are what you're going to hear the most about, and that's where he's going to make the most impact this year. You've got Josh Van. I know, Josh Van. Got to have him come along. You got Dak Joyner. Got Rico Powers who is continuing to turn heads. There's just a number of different playmakers that ultimately have yet to prove themselves under the big lights that we just, we're just we going to have to wait and see. But at wide receiver, Jalen Brooks, Shai Smith, Xavier Leggett are your three. Those are going to be your three guys. Behind them, again, Van, Dak, Rico Powers. You got six. That's that's enough to play with, but again, you need some battle-tested guys, and Shai Smith right now is the only one that you could say has been battle-tested in the SEC. Got to get Brooks cleared. I continue to maintain Brooks will be cleared. I'll continue to say that up until the Tennessee game when the NCAA throws some crazy outside of left field reason as to why he should not be, but everything I'm hearing, Brooks will be cleared. Along with the wide receivers, you have the tight end group. Another group that's surprisingly turning heads. You got Nick Muse. Again, I'm a Nick Muse fanboy. I think Nick Muse is somebody who can absolutely have a huge year. Huge year in this offense. Bobo loves utilizing the tight ends. Nick Muse is the guy for Bobo. Bobo is the guy for Muse. Now it's just about developing depth behind Muse. And I think we've been able to do that. Will Register has had a great fall camp. And it's good to see he was. I know the other services between Gamecock Central, the Big Spur. I want to say they had him in a three-star. But I remember you, ESPN. I remember that ESPN 300. They had him as a top 300 guy in a four-star ranking. So, that being said, nice to see Will Register starting to live up to his ranking. And then, you've heard me say it since last November when the podcast kicked off, Eric Shaw was going to be somebody that was going to be special. He showed how special he was this past weekend. And I'm told, watch out. Absolutely watch out for Eric Shaw Going to be a nice dynamic weapon to utilize at the tight end spot. Again, Bobo loves his tight ends. We need more two tight end sets. That's what you'll see with Bobo. Inline blocking is going to be important. Register has picked up. I would say, from what I've heard, he's gotten a lot better there. Lost a little bit of weight that he needed to. Put on a little bit of muscle that he needed to. So, 
having Muse, having Register, having Eric Shaw. You know, a little bit of riches inside the tight end room. Then you got Kavion Mullins, Trey Keenan, if he ever decides to step up. There's still some players there at tight end. So excited to see that position and how it's going to be utilized under the lights against Tennessee. And last but not least, on the offensive side of the ball, my goodness, this is where the biggest question mark comes for me. And leading into the season, before Lloyd's injury, wasn't the biggest question mark. And it's running back. Who the heck is Colin Hill or Ryan Holinsky going to hand the football to? And I don't think you're going to see a bell cow back this year. I don't think you're going to see somebody like Lloyd or like Lloyd was going to be and step up, take 20, 25 carries a game. It's going to be a running back by committee. You got to have Zaquandre White healthy. I don't – it's frustrating that, again, we haven't seen too many injuries across the board, but where we've seen our injuries, it's impacted one position, and that's running back, which is very, very upsetting. Because at the end of the day, you got to have somebody to hand the football off to in the SEC. We're not going to be a spread it out, beat you by 50 or 60 points. We are going to literally pick you apart, chess move by chess move, piece by piece, yard by yard, and that's why you need a really good running back. That's why you need a Marshawn Lloyd. Now, again, White back at practice this week. Got to keep him healthy. You got Kevin Harris. You got the bowling ball. You've got Deshaun Fenwick. And if I had to say it right now, I would say unless White can get full strength quickly, you're probably looking at a Fenwick-Harris starting against Tennessee. I'd love for White to come back out full healthy this week, get two weeks of reps under his belt, and come out starting that Thursday night because he's the most athletic, dynamic playmaker we have in the running back room. Kevin Harris, great short yardage guy, going to be a guy that can get you that third and one in the I formation with Prentice just pounding the football. But you got Fenwick who can make a, a person miss or two, and then you got Rashad Amos who I think is the biggest wild card out of it all. You continue to hear good things. There is no secret about it that coaches – are liking what they're seeing with him. And I think that's why you've heard it kept a little bit more under wraps about his name. All you continue to hear is, hey, good things are coming from him. He'll get some carries, right? I think you're going to see this group of four divided into anywhere between five to ten carries a game. Who's got the hot hand? And you'll see that's how it's going to be mixed up. Unless Quandre White can take it and go the distance. And again, you'd probably see him at most with 15, 17 carries. I'd see a Harris-Fenwick combination of seven to eight. And then you're probably popping in Amos for a couple. So again, a good running back by committee approach. Just how that committee is going to work. And you heard me say it last episode. How is this offense that now was going to be a 55 to 45 run to pass turned to a 55 to 45 pass to run how is that going to look? Bobo's got his work cut out for him. No doubt about it. But he's got pieces to play with, and that's what I'm excited to see. So that's my little recap from what I'm hearing on the offensive side of the ball. 
definitely look forward to covering the defense next episode. And obviously, I think by that time, we'll have the quarterback name. So we'll go a little bit more in depth there. I always want to give you all just a little bit of recruiting tidbits from what I'm hearing. I'm going to keep it short and sweet with you all. And sometimes the shortest and sweetest packs the biggest punch. I'm going to tell you how we finish. I'm going to tell you how we finish right now. We're getting TID. No doubt about it in my mind. Michael Trigg, although he went on that trip to LSU, I'm still hearing favorable things for the Gamecocks. Michael Trigg will be on board. You've got Jordan Poole. I am putting in a flipper for Jordan Poole to the Gamecocks. There's three. There's still one guy in state committed to Florida right now. Behind the scenes, we're making a push on him. I'm hearing that Justice Boone, we're feeling a little bit better right now. I am putting Boone on flip watch. There's four. And then I'm going to go last two names because I think you'll see a deflection in the class. Recent offer, Chase Hatley. You don't offer somebody, I don't want to say this late in the game, but you don't offer somebody if you're not willing to accept a commitment. I see two four sevens got him as a four star. He comes at a position of need at safety. I had mentioned all along I thought a name would come off the or out of left field in regards to the defensive backs. Again, didn't know who it would be, but hey, Chase, I'd keep that name in your back pocket. And I'm also going to say it here now. What are we looking at? September 9th, 2020. I'm going to go ahead and say Nylon Green. One of the top two cornerbacks in the nation will be a Gamecock. Mark it down. Put it in your little playbook. Shake it up like Spurrier did. Nylon Green will be a Gamecock. You heard it here first. So, again, a little short punch, a little short pack of recruiting news. But, recap, TID, Mike Trigg. Jordan Poole, Justice Boone, Chase Hatley, and Nylon Green icing on the cake. There's your last six. I think we'll see a deflection in the class, or you'll see the gray shirt uh, for one of the offensive linemen if we do end up taking another one. I don't see that happening, but I think the gray shirt would come from the offensive line that would make room so you get your sixth person um, into the class. That's your CB90 stamp of approval. Speaking of CB90, anybody listening now, which this has picked up quite a bit, so I do appreciate you all listening, I am releasing the first ever Cox by 90 t-shirt with the old school Gamecock block lettering along, it's like the old white hat you used to wear with the lines, I'm pumped about it. So if you haven't seen it, You can check out my Instagram, Cox underscore by underscore 90. You can check out my Twitter, Cox underscore by underscore 90. I've started putting pictures up. They will be in very, very soon. There would be nothing more than I would love to come out with some Cox by 90 shirts that Saturday night against Tennessee or wherever you're watching the game for that matter. Speaking of that game, speaking of our stadium, As I am doing this podcast, I was able to see Gamecock Central put up some beautiful pictures of our bronze bombshell-looking 
cock statue. I didn't think that existed. I thought it was the biggest hoax. I literally didn't even think that that thing was coming. It was almost like Bigfoot. Like you just kept hearing about it. Nobody ever sees it. Nobody knows about it. But it's here. It's in Columbia. It's going to be put up, and it's going to only be put up for the 20,000 fans that come into the game. What a coincidence. Those 20,000 fans will also get to enjoy the $22 million renovations of the stadium, and boy, are they beautiful. I recommend you all checking them out. Again, I think there's multiple sites. 247 has done their coverage. Gamecock Central has done their coverage. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stadium renovations that took place over the last nine months. Absolutely exceptional job. My season tickets are in the end zone, so I'm in the Cockaboos Club. All the pictures I've seen of that, I am excited to take advantage of that. And hopefully when I get my seat selection, which is this Friday, I believe, I have to go back and look, that I can still procure my four tickets and enjoy that Cockaboos Club. Enjoy alcoholic beverages being served in the stadium. I think everybody forgot about that. Beer will now be sold in Williams-Brice Stadium. So many exciting things, and it's only going to happen with 20,000 people. How ironic. So, I hope you've all enjoyed this episode. Again, I know I started out on a somber note, but I think it was important. Again, uh, it's tough losing a friend. It's tough losing um, a guy that helped me start Cox by 90. And... um you know, I'm going to miss you ball game. And again, I appreciate you all tuning in. Um, and I appreciate you all listening to that long intro, right? Because I think it's important for me, um, important to my friends, family, uh, to recognize a great guy. Hated losing him. Hated losing somebody so young, but forever young. And with that being said, let's shake this place.